Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. All right, as promised, we got a full sermon review today. Erwin McManus, hearing God's voice, how to live a life shaped by the voice of God. This one's clever. I don't think I've ever heard this argument in favor of, quote, hearing God's voice. It's unique. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that dishes up a dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God? Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical Far from biblical, far from what God's word says. In fact, God's word is so much better than what these people are saying. It's, it's like, listen, the Bible is absolutely amazing. It's interesting. It, it, and the revelation in, in there at one, at one point and some points will convict you of your sin, maybe even terrify you of the wrath of God, but then turn right back around and, and assure you of the comfort and forgiveness that you have in Christ and give you the hope of the world to come. You get the idea. So what we're going to do today, <sighs> going to stretch now, might as well start. Maybe I should do some jumping jacks. <sighs> okay, yeah, <laughs> just kind of warm up so I don't hurt myself. We're going to be listening to a full Erwin McManus sermon. Again, the name of it is Hearing God's Voice. How to Live a Life Shaped by the Voice of God. And um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up the official series that we started a while back now on hearing the voice of God with this sermon review, uh, partly because it's so unique, the argument that he comes up with. But again, I'll ask the question right at the beginning. If, if you know, hearing the voice of God is what we're supposed to do, and that means hearing it in my head or in my heart or wherever, uh, then why is it the people who are saying, I need to hear the voice of God, they have to twist the scripture. When at the beginning of the series, we noted that God says that his voice is heard in the scripture. 
That's where it is. You want to hear God's voice? Read the Bible. You want to hear it out loud? Read it out loud. That's the idea. So uh, <clears throat> with that, I think <laughs> any more painful of a, of a ramp up into this uh, sermon review is just going to be you know, considered cruel and unusual. So let's get to it and uh, follow our standard procedure here for uh, reviewing sermons. <laughs> The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Mosaic Church in uh, Southern California, the Los Angeles area. Erwin McManus presiding. Name of the sermon is Hearing God's Voice, How to Live a, a Life Shaped by the Voice of God. And if you want to open up your Bible, he's going to be twisting portions of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You're thinking, I've never heard anyone make an argument for hearing God's voice from there. Yeah, I know. I know. And we'll walk through. There's a real interesting irony that is going on in this sermon (laughs) that I will be happy to point out along the way. So let me go ahead and back off on the music and uh, we will head over to Mosaic Church. Let me whirl up the desktop and then whirl up my web browser. Here we go. I think it's when I was in junior high. It was the first time we ever visited the mountains of North Carolina. Now, I, I got to remind you, we did review the first few minutes of the sermon. So this will be redundant, but for the sake of you know consistency and making sure we get the whole thing in context, we're, we're going back. So I, I'm not sure why, but I've always had this romantic um, magnetism toward uh, the mountains and that whole region of, of the United States and where the Cherokee Indians used to roam and and my brother. So he's starting off with an anecdotal story. Now, a little bit of a note here. Uh, oftentimes in my sermon, you can say that technically I start off with something in like my nor- in my life or something like that to help frame things. But ha- I've already, before I get to the sermon, read out the text I'll be preaching on in its entirety, uncut, un- no commentary. Uh, we'll have read either the gospel text, the Old Testament text, or the epistle text, or all th- actually, I read them all. Uh, but they, they will have already been read out in in the, their entirety long before the sermon is ever preached. So, um, you know, my immediate question is, what text are you preaching on? Um, and how will this story from your life help me to rightly understand what that text you're preaching on says? So it's backwards if you begin with the life story. Because then what happens is, is I'm interpreting scripture through the lens of your life story. But if I've read the scripture out ahead of time, then I'm using a life story to give me some kind of an analogous point of understanding so that I can better understand what's going on in the passage that I'm exegeting and preaching on. Big difference between the two. So what he's doing, I would say, is a no-no. I and our family were there, but one time we went out into the woods. And and one of the most terrifying things in the world, when you're a city kid is to get lost in the woods during sunset when you realize you're running out of light and you have no idea where you're going. Everything looks the same. I've lived in cities all my life. I am used to signs. I'm used to street signs and, and directions carefully written out so I can know exactly where I'm going and how to get where I want to go. But in the woods, it was different. And as it got darker and darker and darker, you hear a lot of eerie sounds, by the way. You hear a lot of things walking that you cannot see. 
And, and they found, found that it was so difficult not only to not be able to navigate where I'm going, but, but even to find someone through sound. And someone would say, I'm over here. I'm over here. It, it, it was as if the, the, the sound was coming 360 degrees. Now, I got to point this out. This is a weird inconsistency in this particular sermon, and that is, is that he's right here talking about how difficult it is to navigate using sound. And yet this is going to be an argument. The whole sermon is going to be an argument on navigating your life using the sound of the voice of God. And he's not talking about the Bible. When, when someone was trying to guide me by their voice, I, I couldn't figure out if it was coming from the right, from the left, from north, from south, from east, from west. And I, I look now and I think about how we have all these GPS systems and, and we have ways and all these different ways of, of traveling our way through cities. It kind of drives me crazy sometimes because whenever you have someone under 35 driving you, they, they don't even look at the road. They just look at the map. And, 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 and sometimes, hey, look, just – I You know, I, I – my adult kids are less than 35 and they actually look at the road, you know, they, they, it's capable. They're capable of like keeping their eye on the road and referencing the map on the GPS from time to time. I, I, I my experience is a little different than yours. Look up the streets right there. You don't have to look at the map, but now it's not just a map that you see. Now you have someone explaining the map to you. Turn right in 400 feet, in 200 feet, in 100 feet, turn right. And if you're like, uh, I think my son Aaron, he turns it into a British voice so that she speaks kindly to him and with a little bit of sophistication. And, and I, I, you guys remember when Tom, Tom, they came out with like, you can purchase and download different voices for the Tom, Tom navigate, you know, GPS navigation system. One of them was Mr. T and four hundred feet, turn right, you fool. <laughs> I wonder if those are still available. That would that be cool. Like, you know, anyway, Never mind. Yeah, nothing like having Mr. T, you know, insulting you while you're driving. I just think that would be an awesome experience. Anyway, wonder when when you're driving, are you paying attention to what you see, or are you paying attention to what you hear? Just so you know, I turned off the voice on my GPS, and uh, my GPS, you know, is connected to my Apple Watch, and so. You know, rather than talking to me, my, my watch taps on me. You know, so, you know, so my watch goes, do, 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 turn right, turn right. <laughs> I, I, I think that there's a divide in, in some ways between being um, an, a visual learner, being an auditory learner. In fact, if I took a survey, I, I wonder how many. Yeah, I would argue that um, being a visual learner or auditory learner has really nothing to do with taking directions from a GPS. You know, um, that it's not really it, it, you know, navigating to a place you've never been to before and will never go to again. It, it's not about learning. It's it's about a right. You, you see what I'm saying? It's, just, it's a little different. I would say no. The best way for me to learn is I need to see it. I, I need to look at it. And the best way for me to learn is I need to hear it. I I I, um, I need it explained or I need I need the sound. Because when when you become a follower of Jesus. You almost immediately become a, a visual learner. You have a Bible. You're told to read it. You start diving into it, meditating on it, maybe even memorizing it. And so you become, a, uh, in many ways, a visual learner. You learn by reading the Bible, taking notes, writing down thoughts, um, observing applications, and then applying it to your life. But the crazy thing about it is that even though, as a follower of Jesus, you need to be good at being a visual learner. 
You, you need to dive into the scriptures, listen to what God is saying, write it down. You know, if a pastor, you know, Sunday after Sunday, preaches the word in context, exegetically, working through large swaths of scripture, couldn't you make the argument that, uh, you know, that every Sunday is an opportunity for people to be auditory learners, you know, open up the Bible and preach it, pastor, and allow the sheep just to sit there and take it in, you know, with their ears? You know, just saying. Pie to your life. But really, the Bible is not trying to heighten your your visual skills. Now, this is where I'm going to back this up and note that this is a really sneaky point on his part, and it's totally false. Scripture does not teach this. Uh, listen again. But really, the Bible is not trying to heighten your your visual skills. Says who? Where'd you get this? The Bible's trying to heighten your auditory skills. Which passage says that? Now, so this is where, you know, we'll, we'll do a little bit of uh, cross-reference work, shall we? Let's see here. That's Hebrews 1. I think I want to go here. Hang on a second here. I'm going to go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, and then I'm going to back up just a little bit yeah, into chapter 3. So um, l- listen to what um, Paul says to young Pastor Timothy. This is a passage we reference often here at Fighting for the Faith. So in Second Timothy, Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, um, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise, by the way. Uh, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Pay attention to that part. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Notice what Paul did not say. Paul did not sit there and say, Now learn how to hear the you know, learn how to read the scriptures so that you could eventually not need the scriptures and so you can just rely totally on the voice of God that's out in the rocks and the trees and the wind and the breeze. Uh, no, not, no, that's not what he said at all. He said, you know, pay attention to the sacred writings. Keep on, keep on in the word, which are able to equip you for every good work. Yeah, see, the Bible says something the opposite of what Erwin uh, McManus is saying here. Just saying. Because in the end, what you see in the Bible isn't what's going to help you navigate your life. Yeah, Paul just contradicted you right there, Erwin, in uh, 2 Timothy 3. Flat out contradicted you. It's not how you're going to figure out where God is actually guiding you, taking you, and moving. Well, if it's going to equip me for every good work, then uh, yeah, I think it will. Yeah. The Bible is there so that you can become an auditory learner. Says who? What text says that? The Bible is there so you can see what God has done, so you can read what God is saying. What text says this? But in the end, it's actually there so that you can learn to hear God's voice. Uh, Scripture says that God's voice is found in the Scripture. 
Yeah, we covered that like in the first couple of installments of the series that we did on The Voice of God. What he's saying is just not true. This is not correct. This is, in fact, he's flat out contradicting what the written word of God says. So you can identify the voice of God. And so if you're lost in the woods, God's not going to give you a written map to get you out of the woods. What God's going to do is he's going to call your name and teach you how to follow the sound of his voice. If I'm lost in the woods, <laughs> better hope I can get some cell signals. Uh, yeah, uh, where in scripture does it say if I'm lost in the woods, God's going to call my name? Hey, Rose, bro. Who is that? It's God. Yeah. I heard you're lost in the woods. Yeah. Can you follow the sound of my voice? I, I, I don't know. How do I know it's you? Well, because Erwin McManus said that if you were lost in the woods, I, that I would call to you. I, you're not, you're not God. You're somebody else. Yeah, you, you get the idea. To get where you need to go. Throughout the scriptures, there's this overwhelming theme of the power of God's voice. Indeed. I agree. And God's voice, according to the voice of God, is found in the scriptures. That's what his voice said. And as a follower of Christ, you cannot navigate the life that God is calling you to unless you learn to listen and you listen well. No scripture says that. Unless, of course, you've, you're mentioning that the listening means hearing the scriptures. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. All right, so this is the first time he's going to read this text out. Hebrews chapter 12, 25 to 29. And he's going to reference this passage multiple times, and he has it memorized, which I don't have a beef with. Uh, you know, that's actually a good practice, memorizing the Word of God, You know that we would hide the Word of God in our hearts so that we do not sin against God. Good idea. But here's the interesting irony of this. Despite how many times he will quote it from memory, and there will be multiple times he does that in the course of the sermon, at no point will he actually be rightly addressing what the passage says. Instead, he's going to key in on the word speaking, speaking. All right, so we're going to pause right here. We're going to take a look at the text and see if we can figure out without him messing everything up what the text says. So Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. Now we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. All right. So that being the case, let's whirl this up and let's see, did I put it over here? Here we go. So Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to note that when we talk about context, you can talk about the immediate context, you can talk about the context within the book, or kind of the longer context within Scripture. So in the immediate context, in order to understand what's going on in 25 to 29, that's this section right here, we have to back up into the context, in the immediate context, and get what's going on in the immediate context, and then we can see where it fits in the flow of thought that's going on here. Because you can note, chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, 
we should be well developed in, in the major themes of what this book is about. And it's not that long of a book. You can read it in one setting if you wanted to. A little longer than the epistles and definitely a lot shorter than the book of Acts. You, you get the idea. But all of that being said, we may – along the way, we're going to have to reference something said earlier in the book in order to understand something that's said in this chapter. So that being the case, I would note that Hebrews chapter 11 is an amazing chapter. They call it the Great Hall of Faith chapter. And um, in it, we have the commendation of the Old Testament saints who did what they did by faith. And so you'll hear the words, by faith so-and-so, by faith so-and-so. In fact, in yesterday's installment of Fighting for the Faith, we read out the first you know, six, seven verses of Hebrews 11, talking about how Moses, not Moses, Noah, found favor with God. And how did he find favor with God? By faith. So I'm going to start at verse 23 of, of Hebrews 11 so you can kind of get the flow of it. You get the idea. And if you would like to go back and read 11 in its full context, great homework assignment. I, I strongly recommend you you do that for you know part of your time in reading the word and hearing the voice of God, which we are really called to do on a daily basis. So here, here's, the, here's where we'll begin. And notice where we need to go is a whole chapter behind this. So We'll now understand what's going on when we get there in its full context. So by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkled and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So invoking really um, great stories of the scripture. And what's behind all of this? And see, you would think, well, he just obeyed God. No, 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 no. He believed God. That's why he obeyed. So he did this by faith. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, they didn't have faith, by the way, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. She had given a friendly welcome. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then now the, the here in Hebrews 11, it starts to take a dark turn then because we recognize then as Christians, we are called to endure suffering and persecution, which Christ has promised us, by faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So all of them are looking forward to the promises, the promises new heavens, new earth, and Christ's reign forever and ever, the consummation of time. And so all of that being said then, they're all referenced then to encourage us in the sufferings and difficulty that we will suffer as Christians, that we will endure, and consider those people who have gone before, before us to be the great crowd of witnesses. The picture that's being painted here then in 12 is that the saints who have gone before us you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Gideon, Samson, Barak, Noah, all of them, they're now in the stands watching as we're competing on the field, rooting us on. That's kind of the picture here. Therefore, since we have are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also then lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So... Take the sin off. Run your race without the sin. You don't need it, right? Looking to Jesus, who is the founder, or you can say the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Weary and faint-hearted what? In the struggles that you will face, including the struggle against your own sin, sufferings and persecution of your confession of faith in Christ. So in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that then addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate, and you're not sons. Besides this, we we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them, Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. That's a reference to prayer, right? Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral 
or unholy, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you, and here's here's the here's great gospel text, for you have you you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. It's talking about Mount Sinai. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of those words made the hearer beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, you Christians, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And now we're in 25. So this is the portion now that we're that McManus is going to take out of context. And the reason he's taking it out of context is he wants this word speaking in here. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. But the question then is when Hebrews is talking about God speaking to us, what's it referring to? Is it talking about us learning how to hear some audible voice of God or God speaking to our hearts or anything like that so that we can become an auditory learner? No. In fact, Hebrews 1 makes that very clear. Let me pull that up here. Hebrews chapter 1. So this is in the longer context of Hebrews and in the, in the you know a major part of the, the book itself. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So when the book of Hebrews is talking about God speaking to us, the idea is that God is speaking to us in the scriptures. You know, and you'll know it doesn't make any sense then if you go into Hebrews 12, verse 25, and then it, right in the middle of this discourse, which has not, which is not teaching us how to hear the voice of God, that somehow it's now saying, and now you need to learn how to hear the voice of God on the wind, on the rocks, in the trees, up in the breeze, and all that kind of stuff. No, it, we already know how the book of Hebrews has established that God speaks to us. It's through the scriptures. That's at the very, very beginning sentences of this book. So see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. God is now speaking to us now in his written word. He's still speaking through the prophets of the Old Testament, through the written word. He's still speaking through the apostles, through the written word. And the apostles are the ones who Jesus gave his words to, which he received from the Father. And to reject them and their words is to reject Christ and his words and to reject the Father who sent Christ. That's what Christ said. And that everybody who believes in Jesus believes through the words of the apostles. Again, that's what Jesus says. So here, Hebrews 12 isn't teaching us that, uh, to hear the voice of God audibly at all. So by quoting this out of context, what Irwin McManus is about to do, and you'll see this, he's going to make this, he's going to make it look like this means God wants you to be an auditory learner, but that's not what's going here on here at all. So see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, going back to the people of children of Israel who were there at Mount Sinai, who heard the thundering voice of God, 
And they refused him who warned them on earth. When was he on earth? Well, when God was speaking you know, to Moses on Mount Sinai. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us now from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, quote, Yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. But So note what's going on here. Here in verse 26, there's a quote, Yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That is a direct quote from the Old Testament, from the prophet Haggai. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. All right, and here's what it says. For thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of armies, Yahweh of armies, Yet once more in a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh Sabaoth. This is talking about the end of the world. So this is a prophecy regarding the final shaking of the earth that will take place when Jesus returns in glory. That's the point of this text. So coming back then here, so he says, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so you'll note this passage, Hebrews 12, 25 to 29, quotes the prophet Haggai as the voice that is speaking to us. (laughs) Not something, not a voice being spoken into your heart. So therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You get the idea. So when you read it in context, it ain't teaching us to teach the audible, hear the audible voice of God far from it. So now you know what the text is about. And you've all, I've already hinted at how Irma McManus is going to twist this. And this is the irony. He's going to quote this passage from memory multiple times from this point on in the sermon and not actually reference what it's saying. He will, ref, he will read it from memory. He will speak it from memory and then talk about something different rather than exegeting and pointing us to what the text says. And there it is in verse 26 and 27, the exegesis of the voice of God speaking to us now from the prophet Haggai from chapter 2. It's all very fascinating when you consider the irony here is thick in this sermon. Let's keep going. The scriptures tell us this. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks... If they did not escape when they refused him and warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him, who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is the created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Yeah, and he'll never acknowledge the fact that the author of Hebrews is exegeting Haggai chapter 2, which is pointing us to the fact that God's speaking to us from that text. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably 
with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, one of the all right. So he just quoted it from memory. Watch, he won't exegete the text and actually address what the text is legitimately saying. He's going to make it say things it ain't saying. Powerful images that the scriptures give us is that when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things are created. Um, this is a reference to the fact the voice of God is telling us from the prophet Haggai, and the book of Hebrews is, you know, is reiterating what God spoke to the prophet Haggai that there's a shaking coming. The call here is to repentance, <laughs> to laying aside our sin and running the race unencumbered, you know, in front of the great cloud of witnesses, you know, and how God is disciplining us. And he's warning us that there's a day coming when everything that can be shaken will be shaken just once more. And, you know, and even reference Mount Sinai and stuff. You're not dealing faithfully and accurately with what Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 says. The entire story of, of our known history is God speaking, let there be light, and light comes into existence. That has nothing to do with Hebrews 25, or 12, 25. Everything in the scriptures begins with the voice of God and ends with the voice of God. And even Jesus, when he walked this earth, the way that, that John describes him was in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The voice of God. The de- I mean, it's true, yes, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. That's not what's going on in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. Declaration of God. that Jesus is God speaking in flesh and blood. Yeah, and everything that Jesus has to say to us is written by the apostles in the New Testament. That's where Christ's voice is. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 17. And all the way through from, from the law to the prophets, to the gospels, to the epistles, the recurring theme in the Bible is that God speaks. And when he speaks... No, that's not the recurring theme of the, all of Scripture. Yeah, that's, uh, Christ is the center of Scripture, not the, the, the thesis, God speaks. He creates. And when he creates, he brings life. Could you show me that? Show me how that's the central theme of the Scripture. And so if you want to experience the life... If I want to experience, what is the cash value of that? That God has for you. You need to realize that that life can only come out of God's creative power. I don't know what you're talking about, and it has nothing to do with what Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 says. And that God's creative power comes out of his voice. So if you do not hear his voice, you will not experience his life. That's not what Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 says at all. In fact, no passage of Scripture says this at all. And you've pulled a fast one to make it appear like Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 is teaching us this. Listen to what he said. And that God's creative power comes out of his voice. So if you do not hear his voice, you will not experience his life. So if I don't hear the audible voice of God, I won't experience his life says no biblical text anywhere. Unless, of course, the voice of God you're talking about is the voice of God found in the scriptures. But even then, there's no passage that says it in those words. This is his 
doctrine. He made this up, and he's twisting the scripture. Why is it that everybody who teaches me I need to hear the audible voice of God has to twist the Bible in order to make it appear like it teaches us when it's clear that it doesn't? Let's go back to the beginning here. Verse 25. No, 25 is not the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, we apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, context, 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 and show that verse 25 is kind of a sub-thought of a major thought that's, you know, that begins earlier in uh, chapter 12. It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. I, I think that one statement right there should cause us to pause because what, what... No, it shouldn't because Hebrews 1 defines how God speaks and where he speaks. The scriptures are doing is that they're making a basic assumption about reality. That God speaks. Yeah, the scriptures are making an assumption that God speaks in the scriptures. All scriptures, they anustas, God breathed. Everything else in the scriptures will not work in your life. Everything God promises in the scriptures will not be actualized in your life. Everything that everything in the scripture won't be actualized in your life if what? If if what? It tells us our life can become will not happen in our lives unless we understand. That God speaks, and it's through his speaking that he creates. What text says this? No text says this. He's just making this up. And so if God speaks, then what should our response be? Well, to listen. And so God is speaking up, and we need to listen up. Oh, So how do I do that then? I mean, if I can't hear the voice of God, then the problem lies with God. Mm-hmm. He's just not powerful enough to get me to hear him. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. So what we know is that God speaks. But what we also see in this one simple statement is that we have the capacity to ignore his voice. Yeah, indeed. When we ignore his word, that's where his voice says his voice is found. We can actually refuse him who speaks. Now, here's the irony. God is actually speaking something to us in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. And the voice of God has been silenced by Erwin McManus, who refuses to rightly handle the text and convey what God says in it to the people listening to him. So while talking about the importance of hearing the voice of God, the irony here is that Erwin McManus has silenced the the voice of God and refuses to voice what his message is to us in the passage of Scripture that he's memorized. That's the weird part about this. And so if you want to know where your spiritual journey begins... You need to pause. You see, sometimes we, we want a step-by-step program. We want a step-by-step process. We want someone to tell us what we need to do next. But really what you need to do is you need to listen. If God- yeah, this is just advice on your part, and it's bad because it's not grounded in a proper understanding of Scripture. Speaking, then you need to be doing the listening. And no one else can tell you what God is speaking into your life. Now, the script- no one else can tell you what God is speaking. What are you talking about? That's not what Hebrews twelve twenty five to 29 is referencing at all. 
scriptures give us a compass to know what things God would not speak and what kinds of things God would speak. Okay, so here's uh, here's Irwin McManus' version of how to test an impression. Because God's voice will always match his character. God's voice will always match his intention. God's voice will always match his mission. Which requires you to know the Bible thoroughly, inside and out, by the way. <laughs> if you're going to properly test an impression. God's voice will always match the voice of the scriptures. But what you need to realize is that every single moment of your life, God is speaking. Says who? Says where? Which prophet or apostle said that? And the dynamic of the life God created you to live only happens in that interaction of God speaking and you listening. Yeah, you're just making this up because Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 doesn't say any of this. Not one bit of it. God speaking and me listening. He goes on with a warning. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth. Referencing Mount Sinai and the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. How much less will we, if we turn away from him, who warns us from heaven? Uh huh. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Yep. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Note that even his version of Hebrews 12, 26 has the words, once more, and I will, sh- it will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, in quotes. Because that's a direct quote from the prophet Haggai. That word, once more, th- more indicates the... Note, the author of Hebrews is exegeting Haggai here, and Erwin McManus isn't even exegeting correctly Hebrews twelve twenty-five to 29. Moving of what can be shaken, that has created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. What he's telling us is... He's telling us to lay aside our sin. That's, that's the point of what's going on in Hebrews 12, man. God has always been speaking. And if you look at the story of God with the people of Israel, the great challenge was that God would speak and his people refused his voice. And you're doing that by twisting what, what this text says and refusing to actually teach and say what it says. It was never in that moment that God was silent. It's that they did not respond to his voice with obedience. And which to me is so fascinating because there's a, a 400 year period between Malachi and Matthew. That would be the 400 years of silence where there were no prophets. There was no voice of God. God did not speak to his people. No, there was a voice of God in the Bible. Are you kidding me? Even Jesus affirms that God was speaking to the people that he grew up with, who were of his generation, speaking to them through the Bible, through the written word, through Moses and the prophets. And what you find in the scriptures is this. If God speaks and you refuse what he says to you, do not expect God to say something else. That's not at all what that passage you just quoted from memory says. God speaks and he waits for our response. And if the conversation is, well, re-engaged, he speaks again the same thing he spoke when you did not respond. See, I think that the, the problem, we think, well, you know, God isn't speaking. What we're really saying is God is not saying what I want him to say. This whole portion of his um, sermon, he, he's off-roading at this point. We are nowhere near what any biblical text says. He's, this, where is this coming from? Answer, this is a man-made doctrine. This is coming up off the top of his head. That's where it's coming from. It ain't coming from Scripture or the mind of Christ. 
He's not talking about what I want him to talk about. And so when we have a relationship with God, we need to understand that, that we don't get to choose the agenda for the conversation with God. God always chooses the agenda. God chooses what the conversation is going to be about. And so even as we pray, we say, God, these are my problems. These are my issues. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm concerned about. God hears us and God cares about that. And he cares about every intimate detail of our life. But his response will not deal with what we think it should be. He doesn't deal with the symptoms of our concerns. This just sounds like the ravings of somebody who's not mentally stable. What does any of this mean? I mean, you got, you've got you exchanged the clarity of what the passage actually says and means for the complete ambiguity and obscurity of this theology. Well, God's going to speak to you, but it's not going to be what you expect him to say or think or do or whatever. Yeah, and you're, this, you, you leave the the anchor of God's word rightly understood. Now you're being blown hither and yon by all kinds of weird, strange winds of doctrine here. Our anxieties and our fears. He deals with the actual cause of it. He speaks to the very core of our soul. And sometimes what we want is we want God to solve the problem, but not to change us. I don't know what you're talking about. Hebrews 12 doesn't talk about any of this. And God's not to keep solving problems that are going to recur and reoccur and reoccur because the problems are actually emanating out of the essence of our being. You ever had the same problem over and over again? I mean, let's be really honest. You cannot get overweight by eating badly once. It has to be a recurring decision over and over again. You ever have recurring problems with relationships? And you blame it on the other person, but you, you need to step back and go, wait a minute. If I, if I had this, the same relational problem over and over and over again, the unifying factor is me. When you look at your life, you go, oh, I, every time this happens to me, you need to realize that it's the ingredient that you're bringing into that moment, into that crisis, into that circumstance that is shaping it every single time. God speaks to the core so that he can change the consequence. I don't know where he's getting any of this. Change the outcome. Which text says that? Because Hebrews 12 doesn't. So, but when he speaks, do not refuse him. So if, if you want your life to be guided by the voice of God, if you want your life to be the outcome of God's Creative voice speaking into you and creating in you the life he created you to have and creating through you the life that you could never imagine that you could be a part of creating. You begin by realizing that all of God's creativity comes out of God's voice. Again... He's he's making a bunch of theological statements that have no basis in any biblical text, yet alone Hebrews twelve, and uh, and then the ones that kind of do have some basis in Scripture. He's twisted the Scriptures up terribly, and the point he I don't know where he's getting this theology from, but that ain't biblical or Christian theology that we're hearing in this sermon. And when God creates, it's because God has spoken. And when God speaks, he creates, and that creation creates life. And if you want to experience God's life, then you need to... Just because you repeat these things, these slogans and these mantras over and over again doesn't make them biblical or true. Listen to his voice. So you need to listen up. 
Do not refuse what he's saying to you. What is God saying to you right now? His word says to mark and avoid guys like you. That's what it says in the Bible. I mean, what, what has God been saying to you in the last few days and the last few weeks? And, and, and part of the way that you can know that God's speaking to you is, is if, you're, if you're feeling anxiety or if you're stressed or if you feel overwhelmed or if you feel frustrated. Because if you keep hitting the same wall over and over and over again, that means that you're listening to your voice but not to his voice. Uh-huh. Says what biblical text? Because what happens is when we trust our compass rather than God's compass. Yeah, the scriptures are my compass. And when talking about anxiety, Christ talks about people lacking faith. You know, you, why are you worried about what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And he says, look at the, you know, look at the grass of the field, you know, and look at the lilies of the field. I got, you know, even Solomon in all of his splendor was not clothed like one of these. And consider the sparrows. Not one of them falls to earth without God the Father knowing about it. Yet God cares more about us than he does about flowers, lilies, and birds. That's the Rosebro paraphrase of what Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount. And then chastise him. Oh, you of little faith. Hmm. Yeah, the, again, this theology of Erwin, he made this up. Just keep hitting the same obstacles over and over and over again until we listen carefully. And God says, no, come this way. This is the way to freedom. This is the way to light. This is the way to life. Let's go on together. We need to listen up. Look with me. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. That's what the author of Hebrews is quoting from. The word once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now, he's not saying that the created universe isn't beautiful. No, he's reference to the coming day of judgment. Go and look at the cross-reference in the, in the prophet Haggai chapter 2. What he is saying is that God is doing something transcendent in our lives. That's not what he's saying at all. How did you get that? Which commentator says that that's what Haggai meant? Because even the author of Hebrews knows that Haggai was referencing the day of judgment. God is trying to do something in us that isn't trapped within the meaning of this moment. That God is actually trying to shake us free from things that are holding us back. That's not what the text says at all. That's not what it's referring to. Again, let's take a look at Haggai. All right, Haggai, for thus says Yahweh Savaoth, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and then the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh Savaoth. Yeah, it's a reference to the day of judgment. That's what Haggai is referring to. And that's what even the author of Hebrews is referring to there in chapter 12. And this is all in the context of laying aside our sin and God disciplining us. This is tedious. Holding us down and limiting our lives. When God speaks, he creates. But he also tells us that when God speaks, he shakes things up. That's not what Haggai or the author of Hebrews says at all. You just made it up. And I think sometimes this is why we get, we get confused or even frustrated when we draw close to God and we let God speak into our lives and we, we think, okay, God is this good God and, and God is this creative God. So I just want God to create the life I long for or the life that he longs for me. But then before there's a creation 
there's almost like a destruction. This isn't a sermon. This is just straight out pontification. I'm going to speed this up just because of the absolute asininity of what it is that he's saying. We've demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything he's saying here is just nonsense. It's not at all what the text says. And, you know, all the theologizing he's doing isn't based on anything that Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 actually says or really means. He's adding his own meaning and his own understanding of it that cannot be justified by the text itself and especially by the cross-reference that's made in that particular portion of Hebrews 12. That God begins to shake things loose in our lives. If God is going to create in you, the you that you were created to become, he has to speak into your life and shake loose all the things you are that you're not supposed to be. This sounds like narcissism. He sounds like feeding people's inherent latent narcissism. Rather than calling us to repent and lay aside our sin, you know, we're supposed to hear the voice because you don't want to refuse the one who's speaking. The shaking up part is not the enjoyable part. The shaking up part is the part where we can become bitter. The shaking up part is the part where we can actually pull back and say, you know, I changed my mind, God. See, the shaking up part, that's the part where God begins to dismantle everything that you trust, everything that gives you security and safety, everything that gives you identity, everything that gives you a sense of importance, everything that you are holding onto that's causing you to lose hold of God. God will shake those things up. So when God speaks into your life, he doesn't just speak creation. He speaks devastation. He actually begins to take away from us that which we should have never had in the first place. I, I think for many... You mean sin, right? Us. This is our real point of crisis. We, we hold onto things that are not ours to hold onto. You mean like sin, the, the stuff that Hebrews 12 says for us to lay aside, right? Onto things, even that, that may be important or significant or, or meaningful, they're just not ours to hold, they're not our battles to fight. They're not our responsibilities to take on. And they're, 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 they're not our destiny or our calling. They're someone else's. And we'll never live in the peace and the grace and strength that God wants for us as long as we're holding onto the things that God is shaking loose from us. I can look back on my life, there's so many things that I value and so many things I felt were so important, and I just watched God shake them loose. And in, in that moment, I was not grateful, I was not thankful, and I wasn't even happy. I feel like I'm in a therapy session, and, you know, it's his turn to speak while we're all sitting in a circle. I can look back, and, and when, when, when I had that kind of studios, and we were in the film and fashion industry, and we were working away, and, and we had a lot of fun, and so many good things happened, and when it all just fell apart, and in one moment, I lost millions of dollars, I lost this company, I lost this dream, I lost this future, I, I couldn't even eat for 30 days, I, I lost so much weight, which, by the way, was actually really probably good for me, but, but I, I felt so devastated, I think, God, why? And it's so clear that God was shaking things loose that I was holding on to, so that he could... And that's not the shaking that uh, is being referenced... In Hebrews 12, 25 to 29, or Haggai 2. Actually, give me open hands to grab a hold of what he was speaking into my life. Don't hold on to things too tightly. When you're holding on to things tightly, they're not the things that God has given you. Uh-huh. The things that God has given you, they'll come to you, and they will hold you more than you will hold them. Did you read that on a Hallmark card? And when God speaks into your life and begins shaking things loose, rather than fight it, it's better just to celebrate it. And understand that God is freeing you. You may think that you are losing things, but you're actually finding yourself. You're not, you're, you are losing things that matter to you. That's why you hold on to them. But it's in the loss that you actually are postured and positioned to gain. When God speaks, we need to listen up. But when God speaks, we, we need to let go. When God speaks, we need to let go, man. We need to realize that we're always going to hold on to things that we shouldn't be holding on to and holding things so tightly that um, we're almost suffocating them. I remember once a young man came to me and he was really intelligent, really gifted, very passionate. And it was an odd conversation because he came in and he, he said that his own self-perception and it probably was another anecdotal story from Erwin McManus's life. Right. Was that he was more gifted, more talented, more intelligent than me. And he couldn't figure out why I had more influence than him or why people would invite me instead of him to speak or to lead. And he felt like somehow I was in the way of his destiny. And I, I remember looking at him saying, you are so gifted and you're so talented. You probably have so much more potential capacity than I'll ever have. But you're holding your destiny like a little bird and you're holding it so tight, you're crushing it to death. If it's your God-given destiny, you can open your hands. 
You trust that wherever it flies, it's actually taking you with it. So, so you're holding your destiny like it's a little bird in your hands and you're crushing it. But if you let it go, it'll fly away. And if it's really your destiny, it'll take you with it. <laughs> is that found in the Precious Moments Bible? Wh- wh- where is that found? I think so many times in life we are so afraid. We're so afraid that God really won't come through. That that fear causes us to hold on to what God is trying to get us to let go of. Some of you may be in a relationship. You're in a terrible relationship, and it's not the relationship. Should- yeah, that's called idolatry, by the way. There's a, there's a name for that, sin. Again, you're so afraid to be alone. You're so afraid that God will not send that person into your life that, that's right for you and you're right for them, that you hold on to this wrong relationship because every time God begins speaking into your life, you feel it being shaken away. And that's what's happening is that you, you, you refuse God's voice. You ignore what he's saying because you realize that if you listen to God's voice and you, and you move toward his voice, that the shaking gets more intense and more intense and it moves into a level of turbulence. Yeah, if you move into his voice, which is found in the word of God, you may discover that you're sinning. But you have to finally go. For some of you, it may be your career. For some of you, it may be your possessions. For some of you, it may be where you're finding your identity or your meaning. And I do want you to know as you move closer to Jesus, as you, as you listen to God's voice and you move closer and closer to the voice of God, the shaking will get more and more intense and he will not only shake earth, he will shake heaven to set you free. And then he says this, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love that. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Right. That's talking about our hope in eternal life, the new heavens, new earth. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and offer of God is a consuming fire. Right. And this is in the context of the bigger point of Hebrews 12, laying aside our sin. It's so interesting that that imagery is supposed to be encouraging that God is a consuming fire. You see, if you trust God, then you realize that God is the fire who consumes and it does not consume. He will consume everything in your life and destroy it that does not belong in your life. He will consume everything in your life and destroy everything in your life that steals from you your life. But he will take that same fire and use it as a refiner's fire to make you everything you're supposed to be, to live the life he created you to live. And so therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and here's the wonder of it, as we move toward God's voice, we begin to experience the wonder of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do the things in your life... Where in the text does say we begin to experience the wonder of a kingdom that cannot be shaken? We don't experience that wonder until we actually get there. No eye is seen, no ear is heard. We, yeah. No, what are you talking about? That are there because they have been gifted to you by God. This has been God's calling, God's purpose, God's intention for your life. They cannot be shaken. And no one can take them from you. No one can steal them from you. Nobody can keep them from you. And I remember when I was 32 years old, I got fired from a job. And I had friends who were... Here we go. Another anecdotal story from his life. Proof that I was justified in speeding this up. In high places, that came to me and said, hey, we heard that you lost your job. We'll fire the executive director and give you his job. And I remember looking at them and saying, why in the world would I want you to do that? The only reason my boss fired me was because I didn't have the courage to quit. God was already trying to shake me free from this, but I didn't have the courage. So I kept holding on to what was not of his kingdom for me. And the more God spoke into my life, the more turbulence there was. And the more God would speak into my life, the more everything became unstable. And so the moment finally happened where I had to speak into my life through someone else so that I could let go of that which can be shaken and removed. Because the things that are of God's kingdom, the things that are in your life because of the future God has for you, nobody can take that from you. I hope you remember this, because we're in a time of so much instability, so many businesses have closed, so many jobs have been lost. I want you, no matter what you've lost during this time, no matter how much you've lost during this time, that the things that cannot be shaken cannot be taken from you. And even if you have to start all over again, even if you feel like all these years of work, all of my investment, all my hard work, I've watched crumble to the ground. I want you to know something. What you have inside of you is more powerful than what you've lost around you. What God is speaking into your life is a future and a hope, and that cannot be shaken. Yeah, the future and hope we have is in the new heavens and the new earth. Not here. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So therefore, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. If we want God's voice to shape our lives, we want to become auditory learners by hearing God's voice and moving in his direction. We need to realize he's speaking and that his, his voice creates life. So when you listen up and hear what God is speaking to us, we need to let go of everything that his voice is shaking us free from. 
And then we need to look forward. Because God's voice always calls us forward. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's this beautiful complementary contradiction in the scriptures. We're receiving a kingdom, but we've already received that kingdom. The kingdom of God is within us. We are both in the kingdom of God as followers of Jesus, and the kingdom of God is within us as followers of Jesus. And yet, every time we move toward the voice of God, that kingdom is being realized and receiving that kingdom. And that kingdom. Yeah, and he's not talking about, you know, moving towards the voice of God in scripture. No, no, that's some weird, subjective, out there voice, and it's only speaking to you kind of thing, which no text says. Always moving us toward the future. So therefore, be thankful and worship. See, when you know that you have a future and hope, you can be filled with gratitude. You can be thankful. And it erupts within your soul worship. We worship God with reverence and awe. Because you realize that when God speaks, he creates life. When he speaks into your life, he's creating the life in you that you've always longed for, that you've always hoped for. And it's so important to open the pages of the Bible. Yeah, I agree. And stay there. It's important to read the words that have been set aside for us. It's important to pay attention to the principles in the scriptures and, and to apply those truths into our lives. But I want you to know something. That even though... The Bible gives us a way to be visual learners. That God's ultimate intention is to make you an auditory learner. Yeah, and I was just reiterating what he said at the beginning, which is not founded in Scripture. It's just his own, he's, his own internal theologizing here. We want you to read the Word of God so that you can hear the voice of God. No, the Bible does not say we want, he wants us to read the Word of God so that we don't need the Word of God, so we can hear his voice directly without the Word. That's not at all what the text says. No text says this, especially... Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. So that as God speaks through the scriptures, he speaks through creation, he speaks through your inner conscience, he speaks through counsel from others. The way that God speaks is so multifaceted. It doesn't matter where his voice is coming from. When God speaks to you, what matters is that you do not refuse it, but that you receive it and allow his voice to recreate you and move you toward a future and a life that is full of hope. Hear his voice. Listen. Listen up. All right. You slow this down so that you can see the cue point. One of the things I have noted in my sermon reviews for more than a decade is the use of manipulation, and this one engages in it as well. Listen. And move you toward a future and a life that is full of hope. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending upon the listeners of this message trying to get them to make the decision. The decision that needs to be made today is to read the Bible, to learn how to not use the Bible so that you can go from being a visual learner to be an auditory learner. That's what apparently the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And the emotional manipulation is coming via the use of the music, the sappy music. Hear his voice. Listen. Listen up. Let call. Look forward. Hear his voice. And follow the direction of the sound. And maybe you're listening right now. And God is speaking to you. I mean, you're hearing my voice, but there's something more profound happening. God is speaking to you. I assure you, I'm not hearing the voice of God through anything that you've said. And you've twisted the voice of God in Scripture and refused to allow God's voice to be heard in what was written for us in Hebrews 12. And Haggai chapter 2. You, in your inner world, and right now you know that what you need is you need the forgiveness that only Jesus brings through his death on the cross. Well, I'm glad he's mentioned Christ and his death on the cross. I mean, that's a good thing. People need that, absolutely. And I do not want to discount that in any way. This sermon... <laughs> You cannot rescue it by slapping the gospel on at the end. 
because what he's done the entire time up to this point is absolutely blaspheme God and squelch the real voice of God and try to convince you to listen to a different voice, which isn't the voice of God at all. You need the hope and the future that only Jesus can bring because he rose from the dead. You need to cross the line of faith and give your life to Jesus and say, Yeah, that's not proper soteriology here at all. Jesus, I, I want to hear your voice and I want to follow you. I want to step into the life. Where's repentance for sins? Christ died on the cross for our sins. Only you can create. So I'm supposed to repent for refusing to hear the audible voice of God? I want to invite you right now in this moment as God is speaking to you, as you hear his voice, as you hear him calling you, and telling you that he loves you, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead for you, that he's here for you right now, and he's waiting for you to give your life to him in this moment right now. No, 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 no. Jesus isn't waiting for me to give my life to him. Christ gave his life for me. What he just said is 180 degrees backwards. Now, I want you to choose the cross line of faith, and right now just, just make this declaration. I, okay, so choose to cross the line of faith and then make a declaration. Since when does this equal salvation? Jesus, I give you my life. Again, the gospel, the good news is that Christ gave his life for us. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Why? Nothing in the sermon explains the theological reasons behind doing this. And this seems quite dubious. If you hear his voice, do not refuse it. So this is now heavy-handed manipulation. Don't you hear his voice? Uh, no. Leave it. Lean into it. L lean into it. Lean into his voice. Move in the direction of his voice. Because wherever God speaks, there is life. If right now in this moment you just invited Jesus into your life, I want you to go to mosaic.org slash follow Jesus. And I want you to let us know that God has spoken to you, that you've given your life to Jesus, that you have said yes to him. Again, the gospel is that Christ gave his life for us. What, what is this, I gave my life to Jesus stuff? And where in scriptures does that say that that equals salvation? Now, today is the beginning of your new spiritual journey. And there's so many of us who right now know that we've made this kind of commitment in the past, but, but God has gone silent to us. And I want you to... Yeah, because that's not what it means to be saved or born again. Realize it's not God has gone silent. It's that God is still having the same conversation that he had with you when you stopped listening. And so maybe just take a moment right now. Whatever that means. Pause before you get back to whatever you're going to do today. And say, God, where do you want to pick up the conversation? Let God set the agenda for the conversation. Sounds so pious. Sounds so holy. None of this is taught in Scripture. I don't recognize any of this as any kind of spiritual, uh, you know, Christian spirituality or anything associated with the biblical concept of true Christian piety. This is a totally different religion. And watch what God will do. If you feel like I've 
felt in the past. Lost in the woods, in the dark, with no map, with no flashlight, because I didn't. Yeah, it's what I described, the feeling of listening to the sermon. Prepare well. And the only hope I have is to pay attention and listen to where the voice is coming from. I have this friend who was um, in military intelligence. Another personal story. We're about one minute out from the end of this thing. And he had this unusual ability. It's called directional hearing. He actually has a superpower in a, in a crowd of people with so many people speaking. He can focus on one person and his hearing actually locks into that one voice and he can hear everything they're saying. He's perfect for espionage. I want you to know God has created you for directional hearing. Really? Where, where is that in the Bible? If you'll pay attention, if you'll listen to his voice, no matter how much noise... And he's not talking about the Bible. ...going on in your life, you will hear his voice, and his voice will move you toward life. That's my hope and my prayer for you this week, that God will speak to you, that you will listen, that you'll listen up, that you'll let go, that you'll look forward and watch what God will do. What a train wreck. Again, I ask the question. If God really expects me to learn how to hear his audible voice, why is it that everybody who teaches this doctrine has to twist the written scriptures to make it appear like that's the case? That doesn't make any sense. Why don't they just open up to the passage of scripture that says... The purpose of the Bible is to transition you from being a visual learner to an audio learner so that you can have the super ability to zero in on the voice of God because God's always speaking. Where he's speaking, he's creating. Um, why, didn't, why can't you just go to the passage that says that? Why do you have to t hijack biblical text, rip them out of context, and twist them up to say things that they're not saying at all? The answer is actually quite obvious. Is because these people are not teaching you to hear the voice of God because the voice of God is heard and found in the written scriptures, full stop, because that's where God's voice said that his voice will be. So hopefully you found this entire series, not just the sermon review, the entire series on hearing the voice of God helpful. And I, I would uh, leave off with a challenge for you, and that is is that having gone through all of this and seen how people twist up the Scriptures and what the Scripture really does say about hearing the voice of God, would you consider teaching what the Bible says about hearing the voice of God to one or two other people? One of the ways in which we really begin to own what it is that we learn is when we teach somebody else. So would you consider taking what you've learned, going back through, pulling out the biblical text, working through your notes, and then saying, you know what, I can teach this to my daughter, to my son, to my friend, to my coworker, and walk them through what the Bible says about hearing the voice of God and where the voice of God is found. And then in the process of doing that, you will be more confident about what the Bible says, and then this won't be something that's in the abstract and, you know, often your distant memory. When you actually teach another person, you begin to own that understanding, that what the Bible says, and, uh, and it becomes even firmer and firmer for you.
So just something to consider. So what did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins.